Miss Melody. Um, if you have kids that are older than that and we're staying in service, if they'd like a kid's sermon notes, those are on that back table. Um, if they follow along and fill that out, I will have um, a snack or treat for them uh, after the end of service. Um, well, if you weren't with us last week, we have begun our Christmas series in which we are looking at the Christmas story uh, through the lives of the characters that make it up. Um, at Christmas, some 2,000 years ago, uh, the world was changed when Jesus was born. Hope, uh, a Savior, uh, was born, and God, as He always does, invited regular, ordinary people like you and me uh, to play extraordinary roles in His story. As we saw last week, He is still inviting ordinary people like you and me to join His extraordinary story of salvation and grace. And so what we're doing in this series is we are looking at what it meant for these men and women to join God's story and what it is we can learn today about what it looks like to follow Jesus and give his life for his greater story. Now, I don't know about you and your family, but in my family, we are uh, planners. Uh, We look forward to the week, the month, the year, the future, and we love to dream and plan what it will look like. But if there's anything I have learned in life and in this past five years, it's that when we make plans, we will most certainly face interruptions, hiccups, and storms along the way. Sometimes those are as simple as a couple of weeks ago. We sat down on Sunday night and we looked at the calendar and planned out our week. Then we woke up Monday morning sick and it knocked out Monday and Tuesday and the whole week was thrown off. But sometimes interruptions are more than that and they come in the form of life-altering news, don't they? Sometimes the news is scary and bad. Sometimes it comes in the form of a diagnosis or a phone call or a shocking death or a a pink slip or a serve notice. Or sometimes interruptions to our plans come in the form of shocking positives. Sometimes our greatest fears are relieved in a simple phone call. Sometimes we're offered a job, a promotion, an opportunity that wasn't even on our horizon. Sometimes we get the shocking news that we've been blessed with a child. Sometimes we get the offer on our house that is out of nowhere, but it's more than we could have ever dreamed for. And for many of us, our lives were turned upside down when we heard of a God that loves us and offers us forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Interruptions, surprises, and changes of plans are a fixture in this life. But when they come, we hold to the promise that God is sovereign, that He is eternal, and that He is our rock. And so today, we're going to look at the life of Joseph. And Joseph is a man who was faced with the ultimate interruption, shock, and change of plans in his life. And what we're going to see in Joseph's life is how it is that we should respond to those changes of plan. And we're going to see in his life what it looks like to surrender our will and to follow and trust in God's plan. So we're in Matthew chapter 1, and we're just going to read 18 through 25. So starting in verse 18, Matthew writes, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged or betrothed to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So we're going to stop just for one second here and try and understand what's going on in this section of Scripture. Because here it says that they were betrothed or they were pledged to be married. Yet it also talks about divorce and Matthew already refers to Joseph as Mary's husband. In our culture, in our time, we do not interconnect all of those words together. So we're, we're missing something. So let's try to understand what is going on. Well, in this day, a man and woman would first be betrothed or pledged to be married. 
Typically, the parents and families would negotiate and arrange a marriage. And when things were arranged, the family of the groom or the man would pay a dowry or some sort of price for that daughter's hand in marriage. And once that had been arranged and the dowry was paid, the couple would go to the synagogue and they would be betrothed or pledged to be married. And this is essentially what we would call uh, engaged today. But from a legal perspective at that time, which, which they were betrothed or pledged, they were married in the uh, eyes of the legal system. And so that's why we see this language of husband and wife. Uh, but after these papers were signed, after they were betrothed or pledged, Mary would have returned to her family home and Joseph would have returned to his. And this year, they would be given a year, it would give them a chance to get to know each other, to spend time together, to learn about one another without the pressures of day-to-day married life. Remember, this was an arranged marriage. They didn't necessarily know each other before that day. So this is a year to date, essentially, and get to know one another. The other reason that this custom was followed and was important was to ensure that the wife was not already with child. Uh, Even in the first century, they understood math and calendars, and they wanted to ensure that any child born was a proper heir and that the wife was who she said she was under the law. And so they would spend this year of betrothal getting to know one another, And then a year later, they would return to the synagogue and be officially married. And then uh, they would consummate the marriage. So there's more detail to that, but that gives you an idea of why we have all this language intermixed here. Uh, So that's what's going on. Uh, So back to the passage. We'll read verse 18 again. Matthew writes, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the the faithfulness of Joseph in the model that we get in this story of what it looks like to follow you. And so, God, I pray that as we read and as we study and as we learn about you, Lord, I pray that we would open our hearts to what it is you desire to do in our lives. God, that you would uh, call us the deeper surrender and deeper faithfulness in our life. God, if there's someone here that doesn't know you alone as their Lord and Savior, my prayer is that they would uh, surrender their life and find their salvation in you alone. God, we're thankful that you sent Jesus, the the one who saves, that that is Emmanuel, God with us, that you sent him at Christmas so that we might have forgiveness of sins and eternity and eternal life in you. So God, I pray that you would just speak to us today, Lord, and that you would give us the courage and the boldness and faithfulness to follow you. God, we love you and we praise you. and It's your name we pray. Amen. All right. So for Joseph, following God's plan, joining God's story of salvation was going to mean the ultimate disruption to his life and to his personal plans. This man was a carpenter. He was engaged to Mary. He was doing all of the right things. But then, we, we talked about Mary's story last week. She went and spent three months with Elizabeth. 
For, for Joseph, his, his fiance shows up from visiting his cousin Elizabeth in the country, and all of a sudden she shows up three months pregnant. She's starting to show, and he knows for a fact that this baby is not from him. That's a disruption in life. And for Joseph, you can only imagine the pain, the disappointment, the betrayal, the embarrassment he must have been feeling at this point. In addition, we spent some time talking about Nazareth last week, but this is a small town. And you know that the gossip and the rumors were flying around that little town the moment Mary returned. I'm sure there were all sorts of stories and theories on who the baby's father was. And so for Joseph, at this point, he's got three options. Joseph's options were to divorce her publicly and and blame her and feed her to the wolves. He could divorce her quietly and privately, or he could take her home as his wife. But if Joseph is to take her home as his wife, people will talk and they will assume that he was the father. And that he is the one that is morally impure and could not control his desires. In our culture today, there's a lot less stigma around this than there was in the first century. But even today, people hear the wedding date and then they start doing math, don't they? People don't, people don't generally care about that now, but in the first century, this was a big deal. And so that's Joseph's situation. He's disappointed, hurt, betrayed, embarrassed, and yet seems to be desired to be faithful to God. So it says Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. So he had in mind to divorce her quietly. As a righteous and just man who who was faithful to the law, divorce was really Joseph's only option. And because he appears to care for Mary and love her, he decides to divorce her quietly in hopes of not completely ruining her life and her reputation. But then God steps in, doesn't he? It says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So God steps in and he tells Joseph what happened. God invites Joseph into his redemption story of the world and Joseph is left with a choice. He can follow God and all that comes with it or he can walk away and live his life for his own comfort and his own purposes however he desires. And in many ways that's the same option given to each and every one of us. We can live our lives for our glory, our purposes, our advancement, our comfort, or we can sacrifice those things and live our lives for God's glory, His story, His purposes, and for the sake of others. Jesus says that if we follow Him, we will be persecuted for His namesake, and we will be asked to exchange the things of this world for the things of heaven. When we follow God, He will always provide all that we need. He will always fulfill His promises. He will grant us security in Him. But there will be things we are called to sacrifice and surrender in this world. The Bible says you can't live for both the things of the world and the things of God. And so like Joseph, we have a choice. Will we live for ourselves, our comfort, our preferences? Or will we abandon those things to follow God and His call in our lives? And here's the deal. When we choose to follow God, the world, our family, our friends, they likely will not understand. And that's Joseph's life. Look at this. When the angel came, God sends an angel to come. He speaks to two people. He speaks to Mary and he speaks to Joseph. And that's it. The angel doesn't issue a press release explaining the circumstances of this baby. He doesn't talk to the mayor, the priest, or the leader of the gossip ring in Nazareth. God spoke to Mary and Joseph through the angel and that was it. That means that no one else was alerted 
to what happened. And so everyone would assume that the baby out of the wedlock was a result of Joseph's sin. The world wouldn't understand. And so for Joseph to take Mary as his wife, he was essentially taking responsibility for the child and claiming this shame in the eyes of the rest of the community. And this is something that doesn't go away quickly. In John 8, 19, the Pharisees, they mockingly asked Jesus, where or who is your father? Mary, Joseph, and Jesus would have lived their entire lives with this cloud hanging over their head. And so Joseph could choose the route of obedience and public shame, or he could go ahead and divorce Mary and go on with his normal life, reputation intact. So what would Joseph do? And what will be our response when God calls us to obey? Verse 24, it says, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. This is such an incredible response. Matthew tells us that Joseph got up and he did as God had commanded him to do. Joseph doesn't make a pros and cons list. He doesn't pray on it. He doesn't look for additional confirmation. He doesn't throw up a Facebook survey to his friends or even consult Mary. Instead, it says he simply followed God and did as he was commanded. And so our first point is this. To follow God, it takes faith and it takes obedience. For us to follow God and His plans and His desires for our lives, then we, like Joseph, must have faith, and then we must also follow through and obey. It takes faith to believe that God is who He said He is. It takes faith to believe that God is good and that He loves us. And it takes faith to believe that God is better than what this world has to offer. But it's not enough to simply believe that God is better. We must live out that faith, that belief in our daily lives and decisions, just as Joseph did. We must also obey. The NIV application commentary says this passage. Matthew emphasizes Joseph's likewise remarkable character. In the situation of finding his betrothed wife pregnant, he knows he is not the father. But once the angelic announcement is made, Joseph is immediately obedient. As he will be obedient throughout the birth story. Joseph got up and he followed God. Following Jesus doesn't mean playing religious games or bargaining with God in an attempt to appease Him and accomplish our own will. Following Jesus means total surrender. It means hearing the call, getting up and doing as God says. Joseph showed absolute faith in God, which led to the surrender of his plans for God's plans. That's our second point today. To follow God, it takes the surrender or the, the release of our plans for His plans. As I said earlier, I'm a planner. We as a family are planners. But to follow God, it takes a surrender of those plans we make. It takes a surrender of the letting go of our priorities and our preferences for God's plans because we have faith that His plans are better and that they are good. Joseph's life here is interrupted in an abrupt way. But he trusts that God's plans are better and he surrenders and lets go of his plans for God's plans. Taking Mary as his wife and Jesus' as son meant the end of all of his dreams, plans, and preferences. The things he had prioritized, the things he valued, changed with one word from God and a step of obedience. You know, we said it was a year from when you were betrothed to when you would be married. So in the short term, Mary and Joseph's plans were to get married. And in their culture, marriage and weddings were at the center of the community calendar. Marriages, weddings were a week-long celebration that like, we, we can't even quite grasp in our culture. They were a grand wedding mixed with a really good family reunion. Not like a bad family reunion, but a good one. 
And in a word from God, their wedding changed from this extravaganza that would have been at the center of the Nazareth calendar to now this uh, shotgun wedding in the synagogue. That moment that they had longed for, that they had looked forward to, the moment that they had believed was so important, in an instant became a non-priority, an afterthought in comparison to the Messiah, salvation, and the value they placed on following God. What was once a plan, a priority, was no longer important when they followed and surrendered to God's plan. And God likely won't call you to give up your wedding plans, but when we follow God wholeheartedly, and when we exchange our plans for His, it will change the way we live. It will change the way we use our resources. It will change the places we hang out. It will change the way we prioritize our times. And it should lead us from living a life for self to living a life for God and others. 1 Peter 1.13 reads, Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus is revealed to the world. To follow Jesus requires us to give him our plans, our preferences, our reputation, our priorities, and it requires us to give him our lives. When we follow Jesus, it must touch every aspect of our life. As we conform our lives to the ways of God, it should change the way we raise our families, the way we treat our neighbors, the way we handle our finances, the way we love our aging parents, the way we forgive our offenders and prioritize our lives. Following Jesus requires the total surrender of our plans and priorities because we believe that God is good and that His plans and His purposes are better than our own. As followers of Jesus, we don't exchange our plans for God's out of guilt or manipulation, but we exchange our plans for God's plans freely because we know that He is good and that we are thankful for His love and His sacrifice and because we know His plans are better than ours. Mary and Joseph sacrificed everything comfortable and easy to follow God. We mentioned it earlier, but the community would always talk about their situation and their reputation. It's quite possible that their family disowned them at this point. They would have risked Mary's life. That Their ability to make a living was threatened. Off at the top of that, they're going to flee to Egypt for two years and leave everything they knew and loved behind. All because they were following God. That's a sacrifice. Yet they obey God's call willingly, which means that the prize was worth it for them. They give up everything they had worked for their whole lives to follow God. When we follow God, it will mean a change of plans and our priorities for His plans and His priorities because we know that His plans are greater. All right, last thing we're going to touch on on this area. But another interesting detail of this story comes in verse 25. It reads, But he, Joseph, did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to his son, and they gave him the name Jesus. And at first glance, this seems like a throwaway, and and we're not going to get into a lot of detail here. But this would have taken sacrifice for Joseph. Out of respect for God's plans and out of respect for the Messiah and purity of the virgin birth, he denied himself one of the joys of marriage. And the reality is when we follow Jesus fully, we will surrender our comforts, our desires, our luxuries, our preferences for his glory and the good of others. It's not always in a specific area of life, but there will be sacrifice. And this is really hard because we live in a culture that does not believe in waiting that does not believe in self-sacrifice, and it does not believe in the discipline of denying ourselves anything. We live in a culture that says, get what you want and get it now. Credit cards, layaway programs, and loans are given out freely in America so that we can have immediate gratification and we can deal with the consequences later. 
This is on the ultimate display during the Christmas season. I mean, you could buy a car, you can buy a mattress, a TV, toys, a cell phone. You might even buy an expensive meal with zero down and zero interest for six months. The average American family, I read an article, will take, uh, will take on $1,000 worth of debt each and every Christmas. And we'll spend the next six months paying it off. Now, I'm not saying those are bad things inherently of themselves, but we live in a culture of instant gratification, a culture of self-indulgence. And it's so easy as Christians for that to become our operating system as well. But that's not how Jesus describes the Christian walk. In Mark 8, Jesus says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their lives will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? So our next point is that to follow God, it will take self-sacrifice. It will take self-denial. To follow Jesus means to give up our plans, our priorities, and to make him the priority over our immediate satisfaction and pleasure. Following Jesus should change the way we spend our money, the way we spend our time. It should change the purpose and mission of our life. Following God changes our chief desire from me and my wants to God and His glory and His mission of sharing salvation with the world. Following God for Mary and Joseph meant a change of plans, a change in dreams, a change in priorities, and the denial of self and personal pleasure. Pleasure. So to wrap up this point, Joseph practices discipline and denies himself for God's glory and his plan. And so today, no matter what your life looks like, I would encourage you to find a, ho- a way this holiday season to deny yourself something so the kingdom of God can spread. Deny yourself uh, those treats so that you are healthier and can better serve God. Say no to that uh, affair that you are considering or involved in and get help and save the marriage God has given you. Uh, deny yourself that indulgent present and, and give it to the Christmas offering in which 100% of the proceeds go to telling others about Jesus around the world. Or it doesn't have to be financial, but the, 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 the discipline of denying yourself to focus on God is exactly what fasting is. Fasting doesn't have to mean the total fast from food, but it can be a fast from anything. It can be a, a fast from checking your work email at home, from video games, from a certain type of food, from TV. Whatever it is, find something to take a break from this Christmas season and allow that to redirect your thoughts to God. Use that extra time to read the Christmas story daily and be reminded of your salvation. Allow the surrender to lead you to God. Find a way to intentionally self-deny or self-sacrifice in your life. Following God and His plans and His mission in our life is a sacrifice. It's a challenge. It's going to cause us to live differently than the world around us. But why? Why would I ever sacrifice? Why would we ever sacrifice our preferences, our plans, our desires, our pleasure for God's plans and His purposes? Why would I give up investing in my story, in my glory, to be a part of God's story and His mission for His glory? Why is it worth it? Why would we or Joseph ever follow God if it means we give up our plans and that we might have to deny ourselves? Why would we live counter to everything our culture teaches us about about taking what is ours and living for pleasure now? Why would we choose to follow? So that's the question we're going to try to answer is why follow? Well, first of all, we do it because Jesus' life and death on the cross and resurrection is the only means to be forgiven and saved. We do it because of the freedom and security of knowing that we are going to spend eternity with God. 
We do it because of the abundant grace and forgiveness we have been shown. And we want to extend that grace and love to others as well. We talked about it last week as well, but the significance of the Christmas uh, story is not the birth of a baby, but it is the birth of Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God is with us. The beauty of the Christmas story is that God arrives here on earth, that he would live a sinless life, that he would die on the cross to take the penalty that our sin deserved, which is death, that he would rise victorious and offer life. So the first reason and the the main reason that we give up everything to follow Jesus is because it's Jesus alone that saves. Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He says that no one comes to the Father except through him. Jesus lived the sinless life that we couldn't live and then paid the sacrifice on the cross that we deserve so that we could be forgiven of our sins. That in and of itself is enough reason to give up the things of the world to follow after him. Joseph, like Mary, gave up everything this world had to offer, but it was worth it because Jesus saves. Another reason we follow uh, and that we trust in God is because he is faithful and he will provide what we need. We see that right here in this passage. Starting in verse 22, Matthew reminds us of God's faithfulness. It says that everything took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. Hundreds of years earlier, God had made this promise and prophecy, and he was faithful to fulfill it, just as he is faithful to fulfill every big thing in our life and every little promise in our life. God had long promised a savior of the world, and he sends himself to save the world. The history of humanity, the history of the Bible, is God reaching down to earth again and again to make things right with his people, to be in relationship with them. And in every one of those instances, God is faithful to keep his promises. And we see that here in the birth of Jesus. This prophecy of the virgin birth comes from Isaiah uh, chapter 7, verse 14. And this prophecy was given to King Ahaz through the prophet Isaiah. The amazing thing about King Ahaz is he was a wicked and evil king. So much so that he feared that God was going to wipe the Israelites out because of him. And because he was so evil, he despaired, believing that he was unworthy and couldn't even pray and ask God to help him in the nation. So God sends this promise to the prophet Isaiah, to King Ahaz. And the promise was that he, God, would not wipe out the nation. And the sign of that promise was that he was going to send a child to a virgin who would give birth to this son and he would save the world. And so God keeps his word to Abraham, to King Ahaz, and he delivers not only the Savior of the Israelites, but the Savior of the world. We follow God, we give up the things of this world because God is faithful. He is faithful in the big picture, and he is faithful to provide in the details of your life as well. So you can sacrifice, you can give up your life in order to follow God because you can trust that he will always be faithful to you, and he will always keep his promises. Another reason you can give it all up to follow Jesus is because God is with us. We see that here in his name. He is to be named Jesus, and they will call him Emmanuel. Jesus literally means God saves, and Emmanuel means God is with us. When Jesus ascends to heaven, he leaves the Holy Spirit, which means God literally uh, indwells uh, his followers. So when we are called to follow, when we are called to do something difficult, when we are called to sacrifice, we can do it confidently because God is with us. 
When God calls us to live out the great commissions, to tell others about Jesus, to love the least of these, to trust him in a moment of storm or trial, to live somewhere that's not our preference, to do something difficult, we can do it because God is with us. And then the final reason you can sacrifice to follow Jesus is because he is worth it. The kingdom of heaven, eternity with him, Jesus is worth more than everything this world has to offer. He is worth it. Jesus explains this in uh, what's probably my favorite parable in the Bible. In Matthew 13, Jesus says this. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had. And he bought that field. I love that parable. It's so amazing and so challenging when we examine our lives. And when we live and how we live and what we prioritize. But maybe we miss a little bit of this in the, the cultural challenges of the last 2,000 years. So let's uh, kind of update the parable. Imagine that a man was walking home and he was walking across the field, kind of like this one back behind the church. And as he was walking home across this field, he stubbed his toe on something and he paused to look down and realized it was some sort of a box. And when he opened that box, he finds that the contents are, are, are invaluable. They contain some incredible historic artifact or gold or, or millions of dollars in straight cash. Or, or if you're a baseball card, they, they, they have that, that one of five Ty Cobb rookie cards. Something incomprehensible in value. And so what does that guy do when he finds this box in the field? Well, this dude is somewhat shady, so he covers it back up and he goes to the landowner. He knocks on the door and he says that he would like to buy the man's land. As you can imagine, the man is hesitant to just sell his land, but our friend, this shady character, makes him an offer that is twice the value of Zillow, and the landowner agrees. Because this man knew the value of the treasure on the land, the value of, of what he had found, this man goes and he sells everything he has to buy that field. Because he knows the value of the treasure, he is filled with joy. It says as he sells everything he wants valued. Isn't that amazing? Twelve hours ago, this man had things that he deemed important and valuable in his life. But when he discovers a greater treasure, he sells, he forsakes those things without a thought. Because this newfound treasure is so much greater. I mean, this reminds me of Mary and Joseph's wedding. They would have dreamed of that celebration, that day, that moment, their whole lives. But then they give it up in a heartbeat because Jesus is greater. Helen Limmel wrote a phenomenal hymn in the early 1900s, which is always going to capture this image for me. The hymn is called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, and the lyrics go like this. There's light for a look at the Savior, and life more abundant and free. And the chorus says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And then as you look at his wonderful face, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I love that imagery. When we understand the glory and grace of Jesus, as we focus on him, then the things, the pursuits, the glories of this world grow strangely dim in the light of the immense value of Jesus. It's Jesus he is the only thing that will allow us the power to forsake the things of this world. It is seeing that the joy that we have in Him. 
that makes it worth the pain and the suffering as we give up the things of this world. When we understand the value of our salvation, understand the sacrifice of Jesus' life, understand what we have been saved from and the incomprehensible value of knowing Jesus, it's then and only then that we will give up our plans, that we will give up our joys, that we will give up our pleasures, that we will give up the things of this world and we do so with joy because we know that God is so much more valuable. So where does your joy lie? Where does your treasure lie? Because if you take time to rest in Jesus, if you consider who you are in Him, if you evaluate the completeness of your salvation, the security of your eternity, then it will lead you to sacrifice for His glory and His name's sake. Right? In the business world, this is a simple cost-benefit analysis. If you know Jesus and you grasp His love and His goodness and His forgiveness, then it is a slam dunk to give up the things of this world. And just as this man in the parable joyfully gave up his possessions and found new treasures, that's how we will respond as well. The same is true of Joseph's life. His sacrifice was nothing compared to Jesus. The Savior had come to give him life. For Joseph, his joy, his treasure rested in that little baby Jesus, Emmanuel. Jesus, the Savior of the world, God with us. And because of that, it was worth it to give up his plans, his pleasures, his dreams to follow God and what he had in store for his life. So I don't know what God is calling you to do or what he may be calling you to give up. The message of this story is that he is worth it. Philippians 3.8, Paul sums it up this way. He says, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. He says of the world, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Where is your treasure found? Melinda's going to come and she's going to play for us, but I want to give you a chance to reflect, to pray, and to examine your life. To consider the question, where does my treasure lie? What is it that I treasure and I value more than anything? And I would encourage you not to just give this flippant Sunday school answer of it's Jesus, but to look at your life and consider what it says about your treasure and your priorities. Would your neighbors who see your life unfold say your treasure lies in Jesus above all things? Or would they say something else? Do you value Jesus over everything or see a ways down your priority list? Are you willing to give up your plans, your pleasures, your dreams in order to follow Jesus and make him known? Or are you living for yourself first and Jesus second, third, or fourth? Will you put him first and give all of those other things to him? Or maybe you're here and you're in the midst of a God, a God interrupting a plan that you had. And that's you. Would you willingly trust it to him? Would you have faith and surrender knowing that he will take care of all that you need? Or lastly, perhaps you're here and you don't know Jesus. You don't know Emmanuel, God with us as your Lord and Savior. You don't know Jesus who paid the price for your sins, who offers you complete forgiveness, who says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. If that's you, then I pray that today is the day that you would surrender your life and choose to follow him. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. For you, it's today the day that you will put your faith in him and follow him and experience the treasure of knowing Jesus. So this time, I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads and pray and reflect. Melinda's going to play, and I would just ask you to consider where you are and what it is that God has for you today.
Dear Lord, we thank you um, for Joseph's incredible faith and the models he sets for us. And God, I pray for each of us here that you would, uh, that you would help us to not just know the reality of our, of our salvation, but to feel it. That we would know how great the treasure is. And that we, like this man in the parable, would freely give of our lives to follow you because of how great and how worthy you are. And God, I pray that there's someone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, that they would ask their questions, that they would surrender their life, that they would find their faith and their treasure in you alone. And God, if there's someone here that has made that decision today or the past weeks, would you give them the boldness to tell someone so we can celebrate that good news? God, we thank you that 2,000 years ago at Christmas that you sent Jesus. That you sent Jesus to save the world, to save us of our sins, to meet our greatest need, and that he is still with us today. God, we find our hope and our treasure in you alone this Christmas season. God, we love you and we praise you and it's your name we pray. Amen. All right, well, I've got a few announcements for us. Well, i got a lot of announcements for us, so you can sit tight. Um, First of all, if you're new to Living Hope Church, there should be a welcome card somewhere in the area of you. If you wouldn't mind filling that out and placing that in the um, box on the back table, we would appreciate that. That's also where you can place your uh, tithes and offerings if you consider this your church home. All right, in terms of announcements, um, small group generally meets here at the church from 6 to 7, but there will not be small group uh, this week. If you've got questions about that, come and talk to me. Uh, we are delivering some uh, gifts that you guys have provided to a church planning family in Wyoming this afternoon. So we're excited about that. Uh, we have youth group and kids night, which meets here at the church on Wednesday nights from 6 to 7. Uh, we'd love to have your children and youth join us for that. Uh, youth had their Christmas party last Wednesday. The kids will have their Christmas party uh, this Wednesday. So please come uh, for that. We have children's choir that's been practicing now for weeks, months. Uh, they're going to be performing next Sunday, December 19th, so please uh, try and come and be here for that to support them. They'll be performing during the service on Sunday morning. Uh, we're excited about that. Uh, the Giving Tree has been in the lobby. Uh, those gifts are uh, due today, or if you don't have them today, talk with uh, Melody or Casey or me and let us know. Um, those presents are being delivered on the 16th, so we need them uh, at least by then. Uh, we're having a candlelight Christmas Eve service at 6 o'clock on Christmas Eve this year. That's great. Um, please grab an invitation. Those are some of those on the back table. Share those with a friend. Uh, if you're on Facebook, share um, our event. Um, but just uh, get that word out there. And please join us for that. Uh, what else I got here? Uh, the Lottie Moon IMB offering, which we talked about last week. Uh, every dollar of that goes to support missions across the world. On the back table, there is a prayer guide if you'd like to pray for um, what God is doing around the world. It's an eight-day prayer guide that you can walk through with you or your family. Um, there's also envelopes on the back table. Any money you put in those envelopes will 100% go to, um, to uh, global missions. Um, what else we got? I'm trying to read my own writing. Oh, there's a children's church schedule for like uh, volunteers working in the children's church and the nursery. That's on the back table. Um, if you're not on there and you would like to help, you can talk to Melody. Um, it just takes a background check and a willingness to serve, but she would love to get you on that calendar. Uh, we mentioned it earlier, but we have a reception for Miss Summer after church. Uh, please join us down there for that in the fellowship hall. And then we also have a budget meeting right after church. So if you're interested in the budget meeting, we'll meet pretty quickly right up here in the front, and we'll take care of that. 
if you don't care about the budget meeting, you can go ahead down to the reception and we will join you as fast as we can. Um, so thank you so much for being here today. That's a, that's a lot of announcements. It's like a mini sermon for you. Sorry about that. Uh, it'll get better in January, hopefully. Uh, thanks for being here. Um, we hope to see you again next week. We hope you have a, a wonderful week.